Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Last week, we began a series on uh, the topic of Joseph, the life of Joseph, and we looked last week at how uh, God uh, gave him a dream. Last week, we looked at how when Joseph had this dream that God placed in his heart, the very next thing that happens in his life is not the fulfillment of the dream, but obstacles start coming in the way of the dream. We looked at how that didn't mean that the dream wasn't real, and it's the same thing in our lives. When God speaks a word in your life, whether it's a calling or a promise or a dream of your own, often what we experience is not just the, the fulfillment of that dream with no resistance. Often the first thing we see after that are obstacles working in the way. And when we look at the life of Joseph, it appears by all accounts that he heard God wrong, that he's moving further and further away from the dream. But to a God whose thoughts are above our thoughts and whose ways are above our ways, God knew that Joseph was walking right towards the fulfillment of that dream. And today I'm excited. Today is kind of a unique message. We're going to look at Joseph's prison time, his time that he spent uh, in prison. And we're going to look at that season of life that we don't want to be in. When we go through those seasons of life where you just want out, whether that's a, a job, whether it's, it's school, whatever it may be, when you're just, God, get me out of here, we're going to look at that season. So for some of you, you're like right on. Others of you, just tuck it away because unfortunately those seasons come and go and it might be coming. We'll hope not. But as I uh, um, said last week, I encourage you in your own time to read Genesis 37 through 50. Uh, It's the complete story of Joseph. It kind of fills in the details of what we miss uh, in this series. Let's go ahead and pray again. Lord, I I pray that you speak this morning, God. I pray you open every heart, open our, our ears, God, and I pray that you just help me to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about the two factors in Joseph's life that kind of uh, shaped the direction of his life. That was his father's love for him and the dreams that God placed in his heart. Now, if I met someone and I walked away from them saying the two things that defined them were their father loves them and God has placed big dreams in their heart, I would walk away thinking, I would walk away pretty excited for them. I wouldn't be thinking, wow, they have no idea what's coming their way right now, but this is kind of what Joseph experienced. I want to look a little more in detail this morning because it wasn't just that Joseph's father loved him. Genesis 37.3 tells us a little more specifically, Israel, who was Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now, this was a blatant loving more. This, this was not a private feeling towards him, but his father uh, made an ornate robe for him to say, hey, I love you more than the others. Uh, his father favored him very openly for all to see. And as we dig a little deeper, what we find is while Jacob, Joseph's father, had the best of intentions for loving his son this way, what he was actually doing was setting him up for failure. Now, I didn't realize until this week some interesting details that kind of give us an insight into why Jacob loved uh, Joseph this way. Uh, It's not exactly vital to the message today, but it's really interesting background, so I want to go through it really quickly 
The Bible says that he loved Joseph more than others, the other sons, first of all, because he had been born to him in his old age. That's what the Bible tells us. He was born to him in his old age, but I believe it was actually more than that. Uh, scripture tells us that uh, Joseph and his brother Benjamin were the only two of the 12 who were born to Rachel. Now, if you back up in Scripture, what we find is Jacob, Joseph's father, had seen Rachel, and it was love at first sight. It, he was smitten by Rachel right off the bat. Now, we're talking about a day and age where marriage was not always built on love. In fact, it was probably more rare that it was built on love. Usually it was built uh, uh, on the, the family line or political reasons or uh, what's to your advantage, but uh, Jacob saw this woman, Rachel, and he was immediately in love. So he went to Laban, her father, said, what do I need to win her hand? And Laban said, you need to work for me seven years and you can have her hand. Some of you know the story. He worked for her for seven years, and after seven years, Laban deceived him and gave him her sister, Leah. So uh, Jacob is deceived. He marries her sister instead. The Bible says he never actually loved Leah. He always loved Rachel. So he went back to Laban. He says, you deceived me. What do I need to do to win Rachel? She has my heart. And he said, well, work for me another seven years. So he works for him another seven years, 14 years total, to win the love of his life, Rachel. And the Bible does tell us that even after that, she was barren for many years. So uh, he has 10 children, not from Rachel, before he finally has the first child from Rachel. So in addition to being born in Jacob's old age, one of the factors in that love that he kind of just uh, showered on Joseph was that he was the firstborn of the love of his life. You can add to that that when Rachel gave birth to their next son, Benjamin, she tragically died in childbirth. So Joseph and Benjamin, and Benjamin, we find out later, uh, had similar favoritism poured out on him, but they are the only remaining connections to this woman who he loved with all of his heart, this woman who he had worked 14 years for permission to marry. And then there was a third factor that I believe played a key role in the, why he kind of didn't love his children well and loved Joseph in this manner, and that's because Jacob came from a broken childhood himself. Jacob had a brother named Esau. And this is what the Bible tells us about Jacob and Esau. In Genesis 25, 28, it says, Isaac, who is Jacob's father, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Jacob, who was Joseph's father, kind of has father wounds that he's carrying into this whole situation. He was neglected when it comes to love of his own father. Uh, Emily and I, we heard about a study recently. They had a group of parents, and they asked the parents, we want you to make a list. And on this list, write down in order everything that you want to make sure your children have in this life. So they, they wrote this list of, this is what I want my children to have. Uh, not necessarily talking about, you know, food and, and clothing. and we're, we're talking about just above and beyond, what do you want your children to have? And then they had them make another list after that. And they said, kind of put your life into two categories, your childhood. Put, put on one side, this is what I'm thankful I had as a child. The other side, this is what I wish I had as a child. And what they found was the parents overwhelmingly prioritized giving their children what they wished they had as children. 
their priority wasn't so much what they had as children, what they wish they had as children. And it's so interesting. We see this in psychology today, and we see it in the book of Genesis. Because what Jacob is doing is he is trying to give Joseph everything that he wished he had as a child. But what's happening is he is overcompensating the love that he didn't receive. And as he's trying to not repeat the same mistakes his father makes, he neglects all of his other children and repeats the same mistake that his father made. Now, if we follow the story, what we discover is the brothers uh, become angry. Uh, in fact, they're full of hate, but they don't direct it at their father. Instead, they direct it towards Joseph. I, I'm thinking that their mindset was if we can get Joseph out of the way, perhaps some of our father's love will be directed towards us. So we talked a little bit last week that uh, Joseph, or Jacob sends Joseph, go check on the welfare of your brothers. And again, we see that favoritism because why wasn't Joseph out working with the brothers? But instead he sends them, go see how they're doing. They're all working in the fields, working uh, with the flocks. And Joseph goes to check on them. He's in his ornate robe, the one that you just can't get dirty. And all the brothers are, you know, they're filthy, been working the land, and their hatred is stirred up even more. So they capture Joseph and they sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. The Bible says the Ishmaelites were flippers. They took him and they flipped him over to the Egyptians and they sold him to an Egyptian named Potiphar. So now, if we follow the, the story in the Bible, uh, Joseph, is, or, or, yeah, Joseph is doing all the work for Potiphar and Potiphar is not doing anything. If we take it further, we find that Joseph is falsely accused. He goes further down the ladder because now he's thrown into prison, a prison that he describes as a dungeon. And verse 22 tells us that he's given all the responsibility now in prison over all the other prisoners. So Joseph, through no fault of his own, has seen polar opposite ends of the spectrum. He's lived in the favor of his father in his father's house, doing none of the work. And now he's rock bottom in prison, doing all of the work. He would spend at least two years in prison. It's been even longer than that since he's seen any, any of his family. But I want to look at something in detail that we kind of uh, just went over a little bit last week in Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 1. It says, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So we can see right here, this is pretty basic stuff, the scenario is bad. Somebody say the scenario is bad. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Uh, we don't have to, to cover over it. It's kind of bad. But the next verse tells us something. It says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. So it's still a bad scenario, but God is with him in the midst of those circumstances. And then we go on, continuing in verse 2, it says, so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So he prospered. So what we find is it's still a bad scenario, but good is taking place even in the midst of this negative circumstance. And it sounds so obvious, but uh, I think what we experience, which is natural, you know, we're human, is when we find ourselves in a circumstance we don't like, we just want out. And that's not always God's immediate plan for you. He doesn't have to get you out of those circumstances to do something good. 
Uh, Joseph didn't want to be an unwilling slave in Potiphar's house. And the fact is, that was never God's final plan for him. But what we find is God is at work in the midst of it. Romans 8 tells us that we know that God can work all things for good to those who love him. So where does Joseph go from there? I already mentioned it, but we'll read it. Genesis chapter 39 and verse 20 says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write it down again. The scenario is bad. In fact, it just got worse. But if we continue, what does it say? But while, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. So we still have this negative circumstance. But once again, we have God with him in the midst of that circumstance. And then if we continue, it says, He showed him, showed Joseph kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. It goes on to say, The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So what we find again is good things are happening. God is working good in the midst of the bad circumstances. Now, God's ultimate plan for Joseph was to bring him up out of the bad circumstances. It was never a matter of God sending Joseph into those challenging times and say, hey, go develop some character. And when you come out, we'll do something really special. And you might find yourself in a, a season of life right now where you say, I want out. Could be your job, it could be your school or a class, it could be something else altogether. Maybe you just say, Pastor, my scenario is bad. And maybe God's ultimate plan for you is to bring you out of there. But I'll tell you what's not happening. God did not kick you into it and say, go develop some character. And when I've satisfied you've developed enough character, we'll do something special. But God wants to work good in the midst of even the worst of circumstances. We get to the end of the story, and, and Joseph's dreams had come to fruition. Uh, you know, he's raised to, to a presti prestigious position. Uh, and he speaks to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Write that word down, intended. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So what is going on is in the entirety of Joseph's story, with every high, with every low, with every challenge, with every question, God is saying, I had purpose there and I had intention there. Now the word that Joseph used for intended, if you go to the original language, what it actually means is to weave or to fabricate. So when it says that God intended it for good, it's saying that God is actually proactive. He's not responding, but God, to some degree, was fabricating the circumstances in Joseph's life. Now, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say that God makes bad things happen. God is the author of good. But what I will say is God is not frantically trying to figure out how to respond to the cards that you've been dealt. Because God is a God of purpose. He's not a God of chance. He is a God of purpose. He creates on purpose. He creates with purpose. He is a proactive God, not a reactive God. 
He's not looking at your life saying, what do we do now? He's saying, I've got you where I want you. Let's do something special. If we look at Joseph's life, what we find is he said, God intended it for good that he would really build my character. No, he doesn't say that. He says, God intended all of this for good to save many lives. In other words, Joseph recognizes all that I've been through was bigger than me. We have a, a certain disease in our generation today that nothing is bigger than me. <laughs> Some things are bigger than you. You know, one of the most important details in this whole story isn't just the fact that Joseph went to prison, but it's the specific prison that it tells us he went to. In verse 20 of 39, uh, it says that uh, Joseph went to the prison that was reserved for the king's prisoners. This is actually vital to the story. Joseph is still in the season that he wants out. He doesn't want any, any part of it. But God has chosen that specific prison for him to have a divine encounter with a man who worked for the Pharaoh. It wasn't where he wanted to be. It was exactly where he needed to be for the will of God to be accomplished. Can I tell you something? Some of you just aren't where you want to be. You're exactly where you need to be. Now, I want to stress that with a caveat that it does not mean you're going to be there forever. It does mean we serve a God who can do great things in the midst of those prison seasons that we just don't want anything to do with. I want you to think of the fact that God is not reacting to you being there. God perhaps was proactive in getting you there. I want you to see something else because what we find when Joseph is in prison, again in this place that he doesn't want to be, he's doing two very specific things. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 4, it says, The captain of the guard assigned the cupbearer and the baker to Joseph, and he attended them. Now, I want to go into that Hebrew language again, the original language this is written in for that word attended. It's a word shalreth. Uh, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it. I actually have no clue. But uh, the literal translation of that word, where it says he attended them, it means that he served them and he ministered to them. Think about the fact that for, for some time, Joseph has been in prison when the baker and the cupbearer cup show up there. And, and Joseph has been there. And the Bible says that Joseph is now ministering to them. Do you want to know one of the ways that God redeems those seasons in our life? The seasons that we were in for so long, the seasons that we've been in for so long, is he sends people into that season who were going through the exact same thing so that you can minister to them. Joseph has been in this this prison for two years. He wants nothing to do with it. And God sends two people from Pharaoh's house there, and Joseph begins to minister to them. I've been here. We'll survive this. There is life on the other side of this. Some of you have been through it all, and what you're going to start finding 
is God is going to send people into your life who have been through it all. Just like with the cupbearer, we need to see it as a divine appointment. Don't miss it. It is a divine appointment. So Joseph is ministering to them while they're in prison, and the Bible says that he is serving them while they are in prison. The irony to this is Joseph had a call to greatness, to a prestigious position next to the Pharaoh, and instead he finds himself in the opposite position in a dungeon serving others. You know, the New Testament tells us about this guy who was called to a prestigious position where he would sit at the right hand of the Father, and he said, I came to serve. He said, if you want to be great, serve. Whoever wants to be greatest among you, serve. So Joseph is in prison and he is serving and he is ministering to others. And there's one other thing he's doing in prison because we see in this story that the baker and the cupbearer, they have these dreams and their, their faces are sad and Joseph sees it and he says, well, tell me your dream. You know, God knows the dream. And Joseph interprets their dreams for them. You know what's happening here is Joseph, even though he is in a place that he doesn't want to be, he is using the gifts that God has placed in his life. Each person in the, in the body of Christ has been gifted. You know, you are supposed to use the gifts God has given you, not just in the mountaintop seasons, but even in those seasons where you just want people to leave you alone, God has gifted you. Use your gifts, even in those prison seasons. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, starting in verse 6, it tells us some of those gifts, uh, what some of those gifts are. And it starts off, and it sounds like it's going to be like a hyper-spiritual list, because it starts off by saying, we've been gifted differently. For some of us, it's prophesying. And then it says, for others, it's serving. For others, you've been gifted to encourage others. I don't think I ever knew what it looked like for someone to have the gift of encouragement until I met Rob Ashey. Rob, you have the spiritual gift of encouragement. Paul says, if it is to give, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. To show mercy, do it cheerfully. You have been gifted whatever the season of life you are in today. Use the gifts that God has placed in your life. And at the root of all of this is a singular truth that Joseph had to cling to, that God is with you. Even in those seasons where I just want out, we have to understand God is with you. Joseph had to recognize this when his life did not look the way that he envisioned it. God reminded Moses of this when the calling on his life seemed way beyond his capabilities. God reminded Joshua of this when he faced a future full of unknowns. He reminded Gideon of this when he seemed destined for failure. He reminded Jeremiah of this when he felt unqualified for the call. He reminded all the disciples of this when they were going out into the world to make new disciples. I'll be with you always. It is spoken into every situation because it is sufficient for every situation. God is with you. Whatever you brought into the church today, 
Let me lift you up. God is with you, church. Come on, church. God is with you. But I want you to hear me. It is not the existence of that truth that will affect your life. It is how much you believe it and how much you lean into it. The amount you lean into that truth that God is with you in every single situation will determine how you navigate those situations. Renee, can you come, please? But what's so special about Joseph's life, about what Joseph recognizes, is it's not just God's presence with him, but it was God's orchestration to bring him there. And I want to show you this in Genesis 45. In verse 8, Joseph is speaking to his brothers. And he says to his brothers, It is not you who even sit there, but God. Everything he has been through in life, sold into slavery, sold from the slaves to be slaves to someone else, sent to the darkest prison, ripped away from his father, ripped away from his family, He's finally come to an understanding. Not only was God there in that season, not only was he there, but God had a proactive hand in walking me to that place because the purpose in all of it was bigger than me. Look at somebody and say, it's bigger than me. We need to walk out those doors and look at this community and say, it's bigger than me bigger than me. Can you guess?
thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.